The Golf.com podcast is brought to you by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code GOLFING for $20 off your first purchase. We're also sponsored by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code GOLFING at FanDuel.com for a bonus match of up to $200. Hello, and welcome back to another Golf.com podcast. I'm Alan Bastable, and on this show, my colleague, Alan Shipnook and I will bring you interviews and insights from the wide world of golf. On today's episode, we'll take a deep dive into the costly and sometimes complicated business of golf course development. Course construction hasn't exactly been a booming industry in the United States over the last decade or so. In fact, far more courses close in this country each year than open. One developer not named Donald Trump who is bucking that trend is Mike Kaiser, who describes himself as, quote, the man who's willing to build in the middle of nowhere. If you've had the pleasure of visiting Bandon Dunes on the rugged coast of southern Oregon or Cabot Links on a dramatic cliff-lined parcel in Nova Scotia, you know what kind of impact Kaiser has had on the golf landscape over the last two decades. His latest project, Sand Valley, is a work in progress in the wilds of Wisconsin, the first of four planned courses there should be open for play in 2017 on a site that Kaiser says reminds him of Pine Valley and Sand Hills. Nice company, right? Kaiser's not the easiest guy to nail down, but Alan Shipnick landed some time with him a couple of weeks ago when Kaiser was in the throes of trying to salvage plans for Bandon Links, which would have been his sixth course in the Bandon area and a low-cost option for local golfers. Just days after this interview was conducted, Kaiser announced that he was pulling the plug on the course after unreasonable conditions, or what he perceived as unreasonable conditions, were placed on the project by government regulators. Still, we decided to leave in that part of the interview to give you some insight into Kaiser's take on what could have been. If we can convince Mike to come back on the show to offer us a postscript to what exactly happened, he is certainly more than welcome. In this wide-ranging interview, Kaiser also discusses how he picks the sites on which he builds, the prospect of one of his tracks someday landing a major, and why Kaiser, a 15 or so handicap, is considering a switch to side saddle putting. It's a great listen, so without further ado, here's Alan Shipnook with golf course developer Mike Kaiser. You know, obviously we're going to talk about your golf courses, but uh, I'm more interested in your golf game. How are you playing these days? Oh, you're much more interested in my golf courses than my golf game. Uh, my golf game is two rounds at Pine Valley. Uh, I hate to admit this, but that's what it's gotten to, to be for this 70-year-old. 102 and 105. <laughs> Ouch. Well, that's obviously an unforgiving golf course. Uh, you, you know, I got a scan report from a couple of, of your regular playing partners, and they raved about your ability to play the ball on the ground. But does that hurt you at a place like Pine Valley or, or Chicago Golf Club or some of these other places where you play? Uh, I play Pine Valley a couple times a year. I play Chicago golf five or six times a year. And I play my best golf on, you guessed it, Lynx golf courses. <laughs> because they're, number one, comparing with Pine Valley, they're wide. So many of my errant um, uh, over-the-top uh, pulls are in play on, a, on abandoned dunes or a Pacific dunes. <laughs> and, and if you're around the green, around the green somewhere, you can putt. 
And in Pine Valley, if you're around the green, you're probably screwed. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no margin for error on that golf course. It, it, do you consider it the best golf course in the world, like our golf magazine Raiders? I do. I rate it. I'm a Raider for Golf Magazine. Um, and I rate uh, Pine Valley number one, the old course number two. Yeah, interesting. You know, I'm I'm born and raised on the California coastline, and my summer job when I was in college was as a cart boy at Pebble Beach. So, it, uh, I'm always partial to playing by the ocean, but uh, Pine Valley is is a unique test. And what what in your mind makes it so great? Um, Eighteen great holes. I've been I've been stunned. I sort of rate I rate not only courses but holes. And every hole at Pine Valley is in, on a scale of one to ten is an eight, nine, ten, in in my opinion. And you've read that many times elsewhere. And I love Pebble Beach too. It's one of my all-time iconic great places. But it doesn't have eighteen great holes. Yeah, well, that that's well said. You, you, you talked about you know putting from off the green. Are are you still using a long putter? I'm still using a long putter, and I'm somewhat in a quandary. I've seen my fellow long putter people go to the side saddle. And having just gotten back from uh, Cabot, Lynx, and Cliffs, I had two side saddle people who made many more putts than I did. So I'm about to switch to side saddle. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, that, that January 1st um, deadline is looming. Is Are you, are you changing because of, the, of the, rule, the rule change or because you just think it's going to be a more effective way to do it? Uh, well, now both. I was gonna. I was thinking of changing only for the rules, and since I don't play in any, you know, important tournaments, I wondered why I was doing so. But I think it'll be obvious for the people who, obvi- who are still anchoring that they're simply not playing by the USGA rules, whether you like them or not. And that's why these two side saddle guys were instrumental in convincing me that I want to go side saddle as of January first. Are you gonna Are you gonna go whole hog, where you actually look at the hole and, and not the ball? I, I I don't know that far, Alan. I'm gonna I'm gonna try my <laughs> best to do that and let the first five tries tell me which way to go. <laughs> Hopefully, the first five tries are not in the same green. <laughs> you, you know, I hope not. I had heard I had heard through the grapevine that you were um, considering. Sticking with with the long anchored putter even even after January first and just um... yeah, honestly, well that you heard right I have I've told a number of people but that was in the past that I intended to keep using the long putter because I was terrible with the short putter but that was before I ran into my two side saddle guys <laughs> well I mean I, I know that Mike Davis is is a friend of yours did you get in his ear about you know your displeasure with with the rule change. I didn't want to beat him up. I, I just said, uh, I don't know why this should apply to a 15 index uh, golfer who struggles with a, sh- with a short putter. <laughs> I just left it like that because he was, uh, I think he was of two minds as well. He just didn't want to, what do they say, but, uh, have it uh, two sets of rules. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. He was sort of stuck. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Did I hear correctly that Davis is an investor at Sand Valley? He is. He loves the site, as you would if you saw it. Maybe have you seen it, Ellen? It's it's on my to do list. I got I got to tell you, I'm dying to. The pictures are um, they're almost pornographic in, in how uh, how yeah, stimulating you, I mean, they you, are. It looks incredible. You won't believe that in central Wisconsin there are uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres of eighty foot dunes that remind me of Pine Valley and Sandhills, and maybe most of all Sunningdale. Wow. Just, well, that... You know, they're sort of perfect dunes for golf. 
and they've been used as a plantation, uh, pine plantation for over 100 years, making uh, growing pine trees for paper pulp. And we've removed all the trees, restored it to a sand barrens, which is really what Pine Valley was when George Crump found it. And it's uh, it's remarkable because it's surrounded by hundreds of square miles of flat land. It's just in this one little zone. It's got, just like Pine Valley, it's you couldn't even see it from the air. It's just from the ground. All of a sudden, these big dunes emerge. That's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, if 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 sometime down the road you wanted to attract a U.S. amateur or some other USGA event, does it help or hurt to have have Davis uh, with a stake in the in the whole place? Um, I would, uh, even though he's uh, he's an investor, he's a small investor, and I think that he would be very objective about. It's pluses and minuses. I think the the courses themselves are going to be pluses on any, in anyone's book, but its location, 45 minutes north of the Dells, two and a half hours from Aaron Hills, is uh, probably a little bit remote for the U.S. Open. They've, as you know, they do 14 tournaments sure. every year, and I can see whether he were a founder or not that the USJ would smile on Sand Valley. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously... Getting the U.S. amateur to to abandon dunes is is a big deal in the golf world, and everyone's excited about it. Um, for for you personally, what what does it mean to to get the amateur to kind of your flagship property? Uh, to me, that's the ultimate tournament. We like hosting USGA championships, and we've had, I believe, five thus far. We've liked them all because I built Bandon Dunes for the for the amateur for the public. Um, and, and therefore, the U.S. Amateur is the ultimate, almost major. I mean, many people even still think of it as a major, and I think of it as the major, along with the British um, Amateur. The two; Those are the two amateur majors. So I'm very proud to have attracted it for 2020. You don't, you don't lust after a U.S. Open? Uh, maybe one day when the, China, the Asian market is dwarfs the American market and Television is most of it. Maybe, maybe one day that'll happen. I doubt if it'll happen in my lifetime. Are you talking about Bandon, or I mean, could, could Sand yeah. Valley host an open? Just infrastructure-wise, I'm talking, about, I'm talking I'm talking about Bandon since it's four and a half hours from a small city, Portland. Yeah, Sand Valley probably has a greater chance. Uh, and uh, you never know about um, Cabot Links and Cliffs. Cabot Cliffs is just an. Ex- I just having just gotten back. It's spectacular. And would be fabulous on television in the same way that Pebble Beach is. You never know. The PGA has said that they would entertain foreign venues for the PGA Championship, and and who knows? But it's a just sort of letting you know that it's a, it would be an extremely telegenic site for something big. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that'd be a good baby step before you go over to you know Shanghai. Just, just take it up, take it up to Canada. It's kind of a, <laughs> Test the reception. I like that idea. I mean, um, you know, um, talking about Sand Valley a little bit more, David McClay Kidd is going to do the next course there, correct? He is. David's uh, back on my very good charts after the unbelievably good Gamble Sands, which I'm sure, Alan, you've gone to play. And if not, I'm sure it's on your list. It's fabulous. <laughs> you're, you're making me look bad here, Mike. These are all the places I need to get to. Yeah, you're over for two. I know. It's... Uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's shameful, but it's going to happen. You're, you're, you're helping to inspire that. Uh, yeah, Gamble, I mean, Gamble Sands is worth seeing. It's not exactly easy to get to in OMAC, Washington, but it's worth it. It's uh, I think it'll the family the 
the I forget what they what agriculture they're they're in, but I think they're doing so well with the David Kidd course that they're likely to do a second course, and I hope they do. Well, I mean, you and Kidd have been have been linked ever since Band in you know when when you he was young and unknown and and you had him design what became an iconic golf course. But how would you describe your relationship? Um, I would say we we were and are and will be very good friends. We we like each other. Um, he fell off my architect to use list with uh, his castle course at uh, <clears throat> the RNA and the in St Andrews, mm-hmm. just just because it was such a failure. And I thought, you know, there was the old David Kidd who did Band and Dunes and Nania in in uh, Hawaii, and they were both great. And then he started doing crazy greens with hidden bunkers and hidden hazards. For what reason, I'm not sure. So he fell off my list, and Gamble Sands just single-handedly put him back on. It's it's so good uh, that uh, he edged out Tom Doak for the second course at Sand Valley based on that one course and his statement that that's the that's the new David Kidd. He's going to do courses that people enjoy playing rather than courses that people say once is enough. <laughs> is, is this is this a hypothetical list or do you like tote it around in your wallet i, I want to know about this list you know it's a hypothetical list but it's uh, and it's not very long <laughs> would you care to share that list with us mike uh well it's the people i've used at band and dunes you know them mm-hmm. right now i'd say core crenshaw are the favorite on the list but it's though it's doke core david kidd uh, mike devries who i like very much Tom, uh, Tom Fazio, I think, is brilliant uh, for the right for the white, right one. Uh, also brilliant is Rod Whitman, who works with Dave Axland in Canada. Rod did a fabulous job at, at um, Cabot Links, turning a not particularly desirable site into this beautiful dune site in one year with the bulldozers. So Rod and Dave are on my list. And last is Jim Urbina, who used to do such good work with Tom Doak and is now on his own. That's my list. Those were all the uh, cool I'm, I'm kids. I'm sorry, I left, I left out Gil Hans. It's amazing to me that, that you really haven't worked with Hans yet. Can, can, can you give us the update on the band in Muni? Uh, yeah, the, it's been seven years. I, I, I hired Gil seven years ago, and we've been ready to go. He's got a great 27-hole routing, ready to go. Uh, and I've just run into a new obstacle out there, which, which um, I'm hoping to resolve. Uh, they're asking for still more money, and the price is getting uh, <clears throat> sort of out of proportion. So that's a brand new wrinkle. I thought we would be at most a year from approval, and it may be longer. So Gil, Gil, Gil sort of follows along every six months, but until we get final approval, which means working through some fairly big obstacles, it's simply a prospective site that's been a long time in the making. I mean, you could practically be, you know, elected governor of Oregon. What is the deal? You can't. You, I mean, as I understand it, this is your give back to the community, like as a thank you for all they've done, so the local golfers can play for almost nothing. How is there so much opposition to this project? Well, see, you're a golfer, Alan, and you see it as all golfers do, which is the sooner the better. Thank you very much. Because <laughs> in addition to 27 holes by Gil Hansen, this absolutely spectacular site, I'd say it's as good as Pacific Dunes. It's just nothing but eye candy. We were going to have 200 um, high school kids, 50 per grade, caddying, the learning to caddy and then caddying, 
And then most of them, because of income levels of parents, would be eligible for full or partial scholarships to college. Sort of this it was perfect St. Andrews model. <clears throat> but um, there, anyone who doesn't play golf, not anyone, many who don't play golf think that the uh, Oregon coastline is sacrosanct and should be kept wild, which is what this site is. And the bureaucrats at the uh, state parks finally got me up to a price where they said that sounds beneficial. And now the uh, Bureau of Land Management, which is a federal place, they've come with this new obstacle of additional additional pricing and restrictions on what I can do and not do on the site. So I'm I'm considering all that right now. There are a lot of environmentalists or no-growth people who think that uh, golf is not a good development. That yeah, may amaze you, Alan, but you're in California, and you know, the Coastal Commission is one of these, hell no. Uh, can you believe that they've said no to Pebble Beach for one <laughs> more golf course for three different times? Well, I certainly, you know, I, I appreciate the raw coastline, and I take advantage of it. The, it seems like the folly in, the, in this Bandon argument is that that part of the coast is so remote. I don't think anyone's going there with without these golf courses. Am, yeah. am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. And this particular site is overrun in gorse. If you wanted to go camping on the site, you wouldn't be able to find it or get to it. It's infested with gorse, which you know is an invasive species. Yeah, I, I guess it. I guess it just becomes a um, a matter of principle, but. When you, if you're helping the local economy, you're helping local kids, you're bringing joy to golfers around the world, uh, how, how could the average golfer help this process along? It, are you taking names for petitions? Do you want people to turn out at, at community meetings? Is there anything that could be done to, to get another course abandoned? Yeah, we've done, we've done some. Hank Hickox is the general manager at, <clears throat> at Bannon Dunes, and Mary Shermerhorn, uh, who is the very active and proactive uh, mayor of Bannon, have, done, have both done that, and they they would attest that at least 85% of the local people are in favor of it, and the the various governmental bodies who have an impact on it uh, know that. But finally, it, it, that's sort of incidental to the use of the coast. It's, uh, does, it, does, it isn't logical. It doesn't seem logical, and it's not logical, but that's where they get. That's interesting. It's funny when you talk about this site. How do you how do you discover these these sites? You know, think of Sand Valley in particular. Do people come to you, or are you up in a helicopter scouting? Uh, how does no. that process work? Um, there are enough sort of finders out there. I would, and it's fewer than ten. Uh, there's Greg Ramsey in uh, in Tasmania. He's a finder. There's Ben Cowandour from Toronto, and now. Cabot Links. There is Craig Haltom in Wisconsin, who's always wanted to build on the perfect sand site in Wisconsin. He found Sand Valley. I didn't, uh, but those are three that I've I've worked with, and there are a couple in Oregon, where they are. They know I'm looking for remote sand dunes on ocean, or in the case of of Sand Valley, Wisconsin, big sand dunes that are perfect for golf, like Pine Valley, and they make it a point of seeking out the guy who builds on remote sites because they usually don't have the money to do it themselves. But there there, there aren't 50 or 100 contacting me. It's more like uh, fewer than 10. And are they contacting others? Is there there a competitor for these sites that you have to to fend off or you basically negotiate Uh, against yourself? Uh, No one else will go to these sites, Alan. So I'm not aware of any competition. It's uh, 
sort of a, lo- <laughs> a lonely crowd that I'm in, willing to build in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> no bank will touch this man. From the PGA Tour to the MLB playoffs to NFL Week 5, make this the year you finally go see a game in person and do it with the SeatGeek app. Now our listeners can get $20 back when they use the code GOLFING. That's right, a $20 check with your name on it, and there's no catch. Here's how it works. Download the SeatGeek app on your iPhone or Android. It's free, and it takes less than a minute to download. Then you search for your event, find the deal you want, enter our code GOLFING, and when you complete your purchase, SeatGeek will send a $20 check to your house. It's that easy. Even if you pick a seat that's less than $20, they'll still send you the full check. That means SeatGeek is paying you to use their service. So to redeem your promo code and get your $20 check, download the free SeatGeek app today. Enter promo code GOLFING in the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. If you want to go see the NFL, college football, PGA Tour, concerts, whatever, use the SeatGeek app and enter our GOLFING code to save $20. And now we take you back to Alan Shipnuck's conversation with Bandon Dunes owner and developer, Mike Kaiser. You know, in, in your standard bio, Mike, you know, there, there's always, uh, you know, talk about this, this nine holer you built in Michigan near your summer home. And I want to know more about how that came to be. What made you think that the first time you could build your own golf course and how did that process play out? Um, I was, uh, I was, uh, driving down the road to my house in November of whenever it was, 1985, when a, f- a friend and real estate broker named Al saw me, stopped me, and said, there is that wilderness, that sand wilderness across the street that's under contract to become a, a townhome development for 120 townhomes. What do you think about that? It's in your neighborhood. And I said, that sounds terrible, um, but what do you want me to do, Al? And he said, I think you should submit a cash offer on Monday to buy the whole thing. The developer has so many contingencies that it's not about to close and if you came with a cash offer you could buy it and i said well i don't i'm not i don't have that much money he said well that's a lot cheaper than you think and to make a long story short we bought it on monday for cash it was it was far less far 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 less than i thought it would be at the time i was playing pine valley a lot and within a year and a half it it became obvious to me that this uh, 90 acre site in new buffalo was much like Wisconsin, uh, full of big 60-foot, not 80-foot, 60-foot sand dunes that were resembled the terrain of Pine Valley. So as an homage to the world's best golf course, I hired Dick Nugent to build something that resembled uh, Pine Valley and hoped that that would do well. Uh, and he did, and I did, and it feels a lot like uh, Pine Valley, and we have 105 members. But when you bought the land, it was strictly so you wouldn't, you wouldn't have a bunch of condos in your backyard. You weren't thinking of a golf course initially? No. I was just thinking of stopping it for development, and the price was cheap enough that that was affordable by me. What, what was the, you know, the apple falling out of the tree moment for you when you realized, hey, this could be a golf course? It was, it was sort of mechanical. I was going to Pine Valley whenever I could, which was three times a year. And I had young kids, so that meant uh, getting up at 5, flying to Philadelphia, getting to Pine Valley, playing, and then taking the flight home. And because that was oh, on, in the, on the edge of a little bit too much for a young father, yes, I, I, I fairly quickly got to, you know, it would be a lot easier if you just built a nine-hole version of Pine Valley here in New Buffalo. 
So that was the apple falling from the tree moment. Aha, <laughs> it could be easier. I'll build one here. Have you, you know, I think the one of the reasons why people respect you as developers, you bring in great designers and you seem to let them do their thing. But uh, even from the very beginning, were you tempted to go out there and, and dig in the dirt yourself and, and create your own cores? Uh, no, I've never had that thought because I never thought I knew as much as Tom Doak or Bill Core or David Kidd. Uh, in David's case, there is no reason for me to think that when I first hired him because he'd never built a golf course. But <laughs> Tom and Bill had already proven themselves, and I knew that I would start way behind them and probably never catch them. So I've never been tempted to be the amateur architect that George Crump was and uh, Bill Founds was at the remarkable Oakmont. Sure. That said, as as you've now overseen a lot of you know spectacular successes, uh, are, do you have more of a voice in the process? Do, and will they will the architects consult with you, or are you more comfortable offering guidance? Uh, because I'm now a veteran, as they are, they listen more than they did at first, and they know that um, I like I like big and wide. I like big big greens. I like flattish greens, like the old course. And my favorite golf course, National Golf Links. I always mention that as my number one model. If they can build greens like National, I'll love them because they're big and flattish and just fabulous. So they know what I'm looking for, and it's mostly the greens, the green complexes and the width of the fairway. And I don't leave them alone. I sort of approve their routing. I, I approve their routing as the biggest single thing, and then I approve the individual hole designs as they go. So I don't suffocate them. I just sort of oversee what they're doing and, in most cases, approve of what they've come up with. It does sound collaborative. Uh, have there been any, any famous blow-ups or big arguments? Uh, no. The only disagreements have been about um, how undulating some of the greens should be, and we usually reach a compromise. <laughs> But did, did you not threaten to fire David Kidd uh, early on in the abandoned dunes process? Uh, uh, David was well aware, well aware of the fact that we had no contract, and he <laughs> he was working on a on a handshake at best, and that if I didn't like it, I would stop it with him. So he would be the first to say, "I knew that I had to perform, or he'd let me go." And he and his dad Jimmy at Bandon Dunes were fabulous. You know, they're you could tell from their routing that they had it. And then from their early, uh, the earliest holes that they com they worked on, I could tell that they were going to be good. When you talk about your favorite golf courses, you don't mention any of your own. Are, are you being politic? Can you yeah. rank your golf courses in your mind? I'm, I'm being politic, but at the same time, if you said you've got one golf, only one golf course you can play forever, uh, it it would be national. Mine would be my others, and other top tens would be close behind it. But I think National Golf Links is a joy, well, ahead of all I, others. Yeah, I totally agree. It's it's just fun. And if you said you could play 10 rounds split between National and Shinnecock, I'd probably take eight or nine at National. I, I recognize yeah. that Shinny is a great golf course and a great test, but it's just like getting punched in the face over and over. I, national is definitely my my speed as well. Yeah, I've given that that sort of that question that you uh, you just answered. If you have 10 rounds between Shinny and National, how would you play them? And almost everyone says nine, eight or nine at National, one or two at Shinnecock. And Shinnecock's fabulous. 
Oh, see, I thought I was doing original. On a day-to-day basis, Nashville is so much more fun. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, I want to get your thoughts, Mike, on on some projects that are sound like they're in the maybe stage, and um, tell, tell give give me an update and and maybe a few tantalizing details about the site. What, what's going on in the Dingle Peninsula in Ireland? Um, we've been talking with the owners uh, for some time, maybe even it seems endless, and we've reached verbal okay on our arrangement which I think is very good because we've heard from <clears throat> the Irish government that if we could ag- agree with the Kennedy family, it's not the John F. Kennedy family, it's a different family, if we can agree on on a lease with them, a 100-year lease, <clears throat> that uh, the Irish government is in favor of an 18-hole golf course on the Inch Peninsula in Dingle. So in the, just in the last three weeks, that's come about. And is looking pretty favorable, at least for the ownership or the the lease contract. The political and environmental issues are, of course, a big unknown because Ireland, unfortunately, is part of the EU, and the EU has very strict um, regulations about doing anything in the quote sensitive dunes on the coastline of Europe. So it doesn't matter if it's Sweden or or. Ireland doesn't matter what jobs are needed and what politicians like it. There are they're really tough on what you can do in the dunes. Nevertheless, we are optimistic we can get approval. And what what will that that golf course feel like if it comes to fruition? Uh, it will feel somewhat like Duke's across the way, which is a wonderful golf private club across the Dingle Bay. Uh, it will feel like La Hinch. Um, some of it is uh, Ballybunion-like, so I'd say those three in the area is what it will be like. It will be a, um, uh, much like Sand Valley, we will seek out up to 200 founders, that probably from the Irish-American community of Boston, Philadelphia, New York, and Chicago. And there'll be uh, it'll be a public course, but with these founders as responsible for it. And because it's so close to Killarney, there's no reason to build a hotel. So it'll That's be great. one golf course, and if it does well, there's enough land to build a second course and an even more exciting part of the peninsula. Last time I played Cypress Point, I, um, I talked to the pro shop and said, hey, where's the membership application? I'd like to pick one up. Um, it was obviously a joke. But um, if, 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 if a listener would like to be an, an investor in, in a future Mike Kaiser project, how, did, how does that work? Uh, that would work by you, Alan, sending an email to Josh Lesnick at Kemper Sports Management, who would work with me to manage this course, and just say, if you if you go live with this, I would like to consider becoming a founder. It's <laughs> is it a rigorous vetting process? What happens after the email is received? Um, it's not a rigorous vetting uh, process because I found it sort of a self-selective group. Mm-hmm. Uh, not anyone thinks about Lynx Golf in general, and certainly in Ireland, and even more in Southwest Ireland. And I found it's it's people who have families, not 100%, but 70%, people who have families on the west side of Ireland who said, gee, that would be like investing in my family plot. So, so the, it's sort of a self-selecting group of, not exclusively, but a lot of Irish Americans love the idea of re- spending more time in their old the old sod 
and then a number of avid golfers who who know and understand links links golf in Ireland and just want to be a part of it. And I would say that that was the group primarily that signed up for Sand Valley, avid golfers who would love to be part of a of a development of a golf course. And what kind of special goodies come with your investorship? Ten percent off in the pro shop. What do you get? I think the most important thing is immortality. Your name would go on the founder's board, which would be there forever. Alan Shupnick helped to build this course. There are always members' privileges, preferred tea times, I would say, is the, is the biggest single thing. At Sand Valley, um, we promised uh, free golf for the founder and whoever he bequeathed it, the foundership to forever. Oh, that's cool. Uh, we, we, we probably won't do that at... Uh, the Inch Peninsula, I think we'll just have preferred tea times, uh, just because we will be reliant on uh, on tourists. And if the founders take all the tea times and they're free, it will not work. Sure, that's cool. I, I like the ring of immortality. That, yeah, that's, that's the number word. one. I was there. I did it. <laughs> that's cool. Because no one's going to say, "Well, were you uh, one two hundredth? That's sort of a detail you don't get to. Right, exactly. Um, that's great. What about um, the the site up near Dornick in Scotland? Um, we're still very much in feasibility. That's uh, in particular that has environmental issues. It's the same sensitive dunes. So we are at least two months away from getting a beat on that, and it, and it may be longer. I don't yet know whether the highlands are different than what Donald Trump ran into in Aberdeen. We're hopeful that it will be um, if if there are jobs, and that will trump the uh, the small footprint. But it's too early to know. So that's that's in the feasibility stage. That's several years, I'd say, behind inch. But exciting, since Dornick is my one of my favorite spots in in the British Isles. Yeah, it was actually, it was actually my model for Band and Dunes. I've having watched tour buses pour out Americans, uh, <laughs> avid golfer Americans, for the last twenty or thirty years. That's a very remote place, and that made Bandon seem le- a little less remote. I figured if Dornick works, then Bandon will work sort to some extent. Well, I know you've you've said many times that you know having two courses really makes uh, a place a destination, whereas one is more of a curiosity and. Um, yeah, it would be wonderful to have another great golf course in Dornick. If you're going to go that far, and have that's a little more of a reward for your efforts. Uh, nobody would mind that, right? That's what you would think. We'll find out what the what the whole spectrum of people in the Highlands say about that. That's interesting. Are there any other uh, any other tantalizing projects? There is, that... there is one that is uh, tantalizing, but I can't tell you, Alan, because I've been sworn sworn to secrecy. I will say it's on the Oregon coast. Oh, you're such a tease, Mike. Come know, on, give us something. I, I am. I've signed papers that said I cannot divulge. <laughs> but you're um, the first one I've uh, told on the on air. So that's uh, that's, it, something. It, that's something. It's in the Northwest. It's on the Oregon coast. It's quite an exciting site. And uh, what, just like uh, Dornick, that we're in the feasibility stage. Clearly, the political process is frustrating to you. Um, you have enough nice places to play golf. What what keeps you in the game here? It's fun. It's a, I, I, you led by asking how bad a golfer I was, and I admitted to being really a lousy golfer. 
it's actually a lot more fun and fulfilling to to uh, find and then build a golf course with one of these great architects than to play your lousy game. You've got to take my word for it, Alan. It's more fun. <laughs> I, uh, I believe that. So how's your fantasy football doing this year? If that question inspires shame and self-loathing, have no fear. You don't need to abide a bad fantasy team or injured players for another day. You can start totally fresh with FanDuel and do it with up to $200 in bonus cash when you use our code GOLFING. FanDuel is the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. They'll pay out over $75 million a week this football season. FanDuel does away with the frustration of bad drafts and injured players. You can draft a team anytime and drop into tournaments for weekly cash prizes. Entry fees start at just $1, so there's a league for everyone. Over 1 million players have won money playing fantasy sports on FanDuel, and now it's your turn. Go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Use the code GOLFING and sign up now. There's a special offer for new users for every dollar you deposit. FanDuel will match it with up to 200 bucks. That gets earned as you play. The offer is only good for the first 50 people that use the golfing code today, so don't get left out. Don't forget our code, golfing. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Our code is golfing. And now back to Alan Shipnuck's conversation with Bandon Dunes and Cabot Links developer, Mike Kaiser. It seems like a theme in, in your golfing life is that you're a romantic and um, everything is about just loving the game. And uh, d- does, this, does this affair with, 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 with golf go back to when you were, you were a kid and caddying? Is that, is that where it started? It was a combination of caddying. My father was a wannabe lumberjack who loved to plant trees. And his general statement was, we always want to leave our little plot of land better than what we found it. So that was sort of the stewardship approach. And then having been an English literature major at Amherst, uh, William Wordsworth was my favorite poet, and he wrote about the splendor in the grass in Tintern Abbey. And that caused me to think of the most, the very best golf courses the, with the view, their beautiful visuals were, in all cases, nature perfected. And I would apply that to the old course, to any top 50 course at the very least, that they are the site without a golf course is pretty to beautiful, and the site with a golf course is uh, transcendent. Nature perfected as a description of what our great golf courses are. I, I, would, I just played in the first tee open at Pebble Beach, and it, it was a wonderful experience. And that, that coastline would be just as pretty without a golf course, but so, so many fewer people would actually experience it. You know, looking around yep. at at these 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 kids from you know a rough part of Atlanta and from from the Middle America, and then some of these these well-heeled amateurs who uh, don't look like they get outdoors very much, except on a golf cart. And yet here, everybody was was here enjoying the vistas, and that that wouldn't exist without the golf course to a large right. degree. Very well said. I totally agree. I know that your, your your son's become more involved in, in in the family business lately. What is the vibe like when you when you teed up with your boys? Um, I think that you know one of the one of the best aspects of golf is it tends to uh, encourage father son golf uh, because everyone knows uh, regardless of your skill level, uh, once you start playing together, you will play for the rest of your life. So it's it's a, sort of a higher form of golf buddy. <laughs> I love my golf buddies. 
and even above that, I love playing with my sons and sons-in-law. And this, you know, this legacy you've talked about, this immortality, do you expect that they'll carry it on and 50 years from now there'll be other Kaisers building other golf courses in remote parts of the world? Um, I, I hope so. I think they do have the sensibility of golf is nature perfected and uh, that stewardship aspect. And their biggest mission is to keep Bannon Dunes and Cabot Links and Sand Valley the way it is now, in the case of Sand Valley, the way it will be when it opens, and not to change it. Probably in particular, if uh, if something were to happen to me, happen to me, and they weren't involved, inevitably that you have an auction, and the the highest bid win, wins the auction, and it is typical to raise the price significantly to pay for your high bid. And I'd like to avoid that. I'd like to. I'm not uh, pretending that we have a very low rate of play. Uh, Greens fee at Bandon, but it's uh, it is half of Pebble Beach, which I love having as the as the granddaddy always with their the highest price in the land. Our <laughs> pricing model is always be less than half of Pebble Beach. That's a good formula. Where um, where does Donald Trump? You mentioned him earlier. Where does he fit into this landscape? Because you and he happen to be probably the two most prominent golf course developers working today. I'd, I would say your your personal styles diverges slightly. I like what he's doing. I think he's good for golf because he's, you know, he's so bombastic that he's always saying this is the best course I've ever seen. And at least that gets, you know, conversation started about golf. And I think that's good in terms of mo- most of his earlier um, stuff. Uh, he equates golf with luxury. Uh, or aspir- he thinks golf is aspirational. It's for people who want to be able to play in a Trump course with the Trump fountain, and and that's fine. There's a certain type of golfer, I guess, who responds to that. I'm much more of the Dornick Cruden Bay school, where you're very likely, if you go there, to uh, find your caddy is the captain of the club. Uh, that's happened a couple times at Dornick and Cruden Bay, and is sort of the, it's sort of as you know, Alan, in Ireland and Scotland much more so than London. Uh, golf is an every man's game, and that's how I think of it. Well, you just named my favorite golf course in the world, Cruden Bay. Yeah. yeah. The courses in, in, in Scotland and Ireland, especially Scotland, that kind of start in town. You know, Those first two holes at Cruden Bay, you're looking in the windows of, of people. You can see them doing their dishes, and you're literally anchored in the middle of, of this community, and then, then you go out in, into nature, and it's, yeah. it's an incredible ride. But that 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 feeling of being in town, you know, whether it's North Berwick or it's St Andrews, I, I think that's one of the really special things about the courses over there. Yeah, I agree, totally. Well, this this has been a very uh, edifying conversation. I can't let you go, Mike, until I ask a, a, an important question. You're, you're so humble about your your golf game, but what was the greatest moment of your college golf career at Amherst? I think the the listeners need to know. Alan, I'm glad you asked me because uh, no one has asked me that. And it was when I was playing in the wind at Ocean Ocean Reef, uh, sophomore, junior year, and we were playing Ohio State. This was in the era just after Jack Nicklaus. And I was playing uh, the third or the fourth player at Ohio State, and every putt I had went in. So he would, <laughs> he would get on the green in regulation. I would get on, I would get close to the green in regulation chip it within 15 feet and make the putt 
and he was so flabbergasted that he played much more poorly because he was losing to Amherst College and had probably never lived it out down, and he probably <laughs> didn't stay in the team. But I was able to have the match with him, so it was one and a half, one and a half. That was the best I ever did. <laughs> that's it's a metaphor in there somewhere, or maybe maybe it's a parable. But um, that's great. Maybe I love like that story. Well, that was a lot better I, than losing to the number one, to the captain of the Yale golf team, ten and eight at Yale. Did that, that happen? The, that, that happened. That was the that was the nadir of my golf career. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you remember that this gent's name? I don't. He was one year ahead of me. He was the captain, and how he got to play me, I don't know. <laughs> but he crushed me. What, what do you say at the end of a match like that? Um, well, in this case, we said that didn't take long because we walked <laughs> off after 10. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's no, total annihilation. Well, I'm glad that even half a century later, you still have a sense of humor about it, Mike. That it's speaks well only, for you. It's the only way to be. Yeah, uh, clearly. Well, thank you, thank you very much for your time and your insight. This this was great fun. And um, speaking on behalf of all golfers, I hope that these various projects come to fruition. I will, in fact, get on the airplane and play them as my duty. And uh, I don't want to let you down anymore. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna Good. I'm gonna make the trips just for you. But um, I, I hope you come and play Sand Valley. Next summer, okay. It's a it date. won't actually be it won't actually be open for uh, the general public, but it will be open for preview play, and we can probably arrange that for you, Alan. Well, you know, like I say, um, whenever I, I play these courses, the readers have a right to know, and yeah, I, um, I, I, you know, it's a life of service. But I think I will go to Sand Valley. I will play it, and I will report back to the golfing public just as a service to them. I think they will appreciate that, especially if you could compare it with Gamble Sands and hopefully say they're both great. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, thanks for putting up with me, Mike. It was really fun. And, thanks. Um, it was fun, Thanks Ellen. again for your time. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Golf.com podcast. Subscribe on iTunes or at si.com slash podcasts. Tweet me at Alan underscore Bastable or Alan Shipnook. He's at at Alan Shipnook to let us know what you think of the show and suggest any guests you'd like to hear come on. Next week, we'll bring you a conversation with Golf Channel's always outspoken Brandel Chambly. For Alan Shipnook, I'm Alan Bastable. Thanks for listening to the Golf.com podcast. <laughs>